following sermon was delivered at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Woodruff, South Carolina. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. I'd like to pose a question and then seek to answer it through this text. The question is this, what is it that is the root of love for one another? What is it that is our foundation for loving each other? I mean, in a broad sense, love toward everyone, right? Love to our fellow man, but more narrowly, love toward those in the church, affection for those in the church. Because if we're going to be real, it's sometimes very hard to love those around us, right? Even though we are redeemed sinners and we are brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes quarrels and squabbles come about, and it's hard to love one another. But I think that this first section, verses 1 to 3, well, really the whole first chapter of Thessalonians, but in particular, verses 1 through 3 answer this question for us of how it is that we are to love one another. What is our, our aim in doing so and how we're to go about it? Now, I want to kind of take a step back and give the background of this letter to the first Thessalonians, since Tim and I will be working through this in the coming months. We're given the account of Paul, Silas, and Timothy going to the Thessalonians in Acts chapter 17. And in Acts chapter 17, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they come to Thessalonica, a a bustling city. Thessalonica was one of the biggest port towns of the day, so there was a lot of trade and commerce. And it was also a diverse city. There was a, a, a large portion of the population being Greeks. But also there was a a big Jewish community, and we see that by there being a synagogue there. So Paul and Timothy and and Silas, as was Paul's practice, go to the synagogue. And we're told that for three Sabbath days, he he devoted his time to, to disputing and to preaching the gospel and to showing from the Old Testament scriptures that the Messiah would come and suffer. And that Jesus was that suffering Messiah that had come and has now brought salvation to all. And we are told in in Acts chapter 17 of the fruit of that, that many of the Greeks believed, that many of the devout Jews believed, and also many of the leading women in the church believed. And so so Paul gets to see the fruit of his ministry. But very quickly, the Jews get jealous. The Jews of that city get jealous, and they incite a riot. And they, and they incite this riot, and they're attempting to bring Paul, Silas, and Timothy before the civil magistrates in order to have them expelled out of the city. They want them gone. Because in their own words, and it's glorious to think of, of a ministry doing this, but they have turned the world upside down by their teaching. They've turned the world upside down through the preaching of the cross of Christ. But the mob doesn't get their hands on Paul and Silas and Timothy And the church quickly sends them away by way of night, and and they they move on to Berea. So Paul merely, he spends possibly a merely three weeks with this people. Three weeks. Now, we're not exactly sure, but we can, can, if we're going on a minimum, he may have only spent three weeks with this people. But the affection and the love that Paul shows in his opening couple verses 
of, of Thessalonians makes us ponder and ask and, 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 answer the, and answer the posed question of how it is we love one another. And as we, as we go through the text, I hope that we will see this, because I think that this is Paul's motivation. We have love to others by this, that meditation on Christ, meditation on Jesus, cultivates prayer and thanksgiving to God for the marks and growth of genuine faith, which strengthen love for one another. That meditation on Christ cultivates prayer and thanksgiving to God for the marks and growth of genuine faith, which strengthen love for one another. I would like to look at this in two sections. The first, thanksgiving to God through prayer, verses 1 and 2. And then the marks of the Christian, verse 3. Let's read verses 1 and 2. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. In this opening section, we're, we're shown Paul's very typical greeting. Right, Paul, and this was very typical of the day. This was how they wrote letters in those days. It would open with who's the letter being sent from, who is it to, and then, and then a thanksgiving or a welcoming to them. But here, even in his greeting, Paul gives us his humility and affection toward this Thessalonian church because this is the only letter in which Paul simply states his name. Many of his other letters, for instance, the Galatians, Paul, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ, not by the will of man, but by God. And in other letters, Paul asserting his apostleship or that he's a servant of Christ. But here, in Paul's opening statement, he just simply states his name, showing his affection to them, simply stating him and his co-workers and who he's writing to. But secondly, we see the affection of Paul in his prayers for them. He shows his affection to them by his, by his ceaseless prayer. In verse 2, we read that we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly. Or you could translate constantly as, as without ceasing. Now, what Paul's getting at is not that he's on his knees 24 hours a day or seven days a week praying for these believers, but that he has made it a habit. He's made it a practice of his daily life to bring them before the throne of God. That, especially if we take the idea that he was only with them for three weeks. You know, how often do you and I run into someone for a short period of time, but yet can confidently say that we are continuing to pray for them, that we are continually praying for their good and bringing them before the throne of God? Paul shows his affection to them, not only in his constant prayers for them, but in who his prayer is directed to. Paul does not thank the Thessalonians that they put their own faith in Christ, as we'll see later on when Paul names exactly what it is he's thankful for. But Paul says that he gives thanks to God from whom the author of all things is. That it is God who works in them. That Paul's acknowledging that it is, it is not upon their own will that they have responded to the gospel. That it is not upon their own that strength that they have faith now in Christ. But he's, he's thanking God and he's praising God for the great work 
that he has done in this group of believers and at great affliction to them. If we think of the fact that the Jews chased Paul and Silas and Timothy out of Thessalonica, well, then we think of that small, young, immature church staying there and facing the persecution of those same Jews. And so it brings the question of prayer. And that since Paul puts such a heavy emphasis on prayer... And, and being in an absence, and I, I failed to mention this earlier, but, but the letter of 1 Thessalonians was written as a response to the good report that Timothy re- brought back to Paul. I should have mentioned this earlier, but, but Paul shows his affection to the Thessalonians in that he, he says it later on in the letter that he was so desirous of them that he couldn't stand it any longer knowing how they were, so he sent Timothy to go check on them. Maybe Timothy wasn't as well known by the Jews, so Timothy could slip in unnoticed. But it was upon Timothy's good report to Paul that the Thessalonian church was still vibrant and active, that Paul then writes this letter. And so Paul did not wait. Paul is saying, I did not wait to hear of the report that you were doing well, but that I brought you before God in thanksgiving and prayer and asking that he would continue the work that he started within you. And we, are see, we see that it is upon his remembering of the fruits of regeneration, the, the beginning works of regeneration that he gives thanksgiving. So I think by, Paul, by Paul's example, we should ask ourselves, what is the place of prayer in our lives? Here we have an example of the Apostle Paul. Yes, he's an apostle. Yes, he is a prolific author in the New Testament. But Paul was first and foremost a Christian with the same sinful nature that you and I have, the same besetting sins and same struggles. But yet Paul makes prayer a priority. That by by him saying that we constantly mention you, Paul is essentially saying, I've carved out a time or maybe even two times a day that I come before the throne of grace. We we see in the beginning of Acts that, that John and the apostle Peter they went to the temple. They, they continued the Jewish ritual of, of morning and evening prayer. And maybe Paul kept that. But nevertheless, how, how often do you and I come before God at a set time every day? Because we think, about, we think about all the other things that we do daily, right? We make a habit of coming, we waking up and having breakfast we, have, we make a habit of, of coming together with our family and family worship or things like that, or, or even in our secular vocations, right? We spend much time in there. But how often do you carve out time in the day for prayer? And I think that Paul's motivation for this was because he knew that his prayers were not effectual because of his habit, He did not think that his prayers were effectual because of any self-righteousness, but because of who they were directed to. That it is not upon, we we, can think about Jesus telling his disciples, do not pray like the Greeks do. They, They heap up words thinking they'll be heard for their words. Because in those days there was a thought, and I think that this thought is still prevalent, that the more we say something to God, the more likely he might answer us. But that wasn't Paul's motivation. Paul's motivation was directed to the fact that it is God who sustains all things, who's the author of faith, of love, of hope, who is powerful. 
And when we come to prayer, do we have that in mind? Do we pray to God believing that he has the power and the ability to change hearts? That he has the ability to change the neighbor that we've been ministering to for months? Because we in and of ourselves cannot do it. To change, to, to, to reach lost family members that we've been praying to for years. Do we have that confidence in our prayer life that our prayers are, our prayers are effective because of who they are to and that God is willing and able to do far more abundantly than we can even ask? Paul shows his affection first to the Thessalonians in his prayer life for them and how he constantly brings them before God. But secondly, and our second point is this, that Paul's, Paul's prayer for them is also motivated because of the marks that he, saw, he sees in them. That his time there, he began to see how God was working in them. And he says that upon remembering these fruits that, he's, that he, would, he was beginning to see, that he would bring them before God. Verse 3, if you'd look with me. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we get to the, the, the things that Paul is thinking of as he prays. He's remembering their faith. He's remembering their love, and he's remembering their hope. In these three, we have the, what many commentators have called the three principal graces of the Christian life. And one commentator said that we have, you know, in these three graces, we have the gospel in a nutshell. That it is faith, love, and hope that are the crowning jewels of, of, of the Christian life. But here, here we can kind of further look into these, that it is not just any faith, any love, any, any hope, but a, a more nuanced translation could be one like this. Your work produced by faith. Your love produced by, excuse me, your labor produced by love and your steadfastness produced of hope. See, their faith, their love, and their hope were not merely inward. They weren't just these things that could not be touched, but they were, they were seen. And, and Paul saw them, and why, that is why he remembered them, and he was giving praise to God for them. That, that as Paul preached to these people and, and, and the Holy Spirit moved upon them, giving them these graces, that, they be, that Paul saw the work that their faith was doing in their lives. And I think that these are the works, good works of the Christian life. That Paul saw the labor of love. That it wasn't just a mere intellectual or feelings-oriented love, but that it drove these Thessalonian believers to action. And their hope that was not just set upon something that was flimsy, but they had steadfastness in their work because of the hope of Christ that they had. Love, which looks up, excuse me, faith. Paul gives thanks for their faith because it looks back to a crucified Savior. The gift of faith produces work. Faith produces the good works of the Christian life. Paul saw in these Thessalonian believers their service, their self-sacrifice. Another way that faith can be understood is loyalty to Christ. Later on, in, in the same chapter, we're given this, this amazing picture of conversion of the Thessalonians 
turning from idols to serve the one true and living God. So their faith also had an element of loyalty to Christ, that they were not going back to where they had come, but even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of, of being without the, their, the apostle there and, and being able to encourage them and, and, and nurture them, they were still steadfast, that they were still loyal to Christ. Works of giving to the poor. All of these pointed and reminded Paul of the work that the Holy Spirit had done in their life. Paul not only rejoices in their faith, but he rejoices in their love. A love that looks up to a crowned Savior. See, it is, it is faith that, that begins the works in us. But then, how often do we come to hardship and trial? And the works that we desire to do become hard. And so Paul points them that I saw you working. And even when it got hard, it was you toiled. You toiled and labored. And your toil and labor were motivated for love. By love, excuse me. You were motivated by the love that you had toward one another and toward those outside. And we can, we can see this in small measure in, in our own day and age in just our family worship. And those of us who have young children. I mean, how often, as we as parents, we, we want to bring the scriptures before our children, but yet how often do we sit down, and, and even if we intend to be there for 10 minutes, one child is, is fidgeting and not listening, and the other child runs out of the room, and it becomes hard, and it is toilsome. But it is our love for them, and knowing that this is good, this is good for them, and this is the means that God has given to convert our children and to sanctify them. And so we press forward in love for them. But we can also see this in a, in a broader scale in just a missionary effort. You know, how often do missionaries sometimes labor for years and years without seeing much fruit from their work? But it is their love to Christ and to see His name proclaimed and honored and glorified. And also it is love toward those who do not know Christ that they might come to saving faith in Him. So faith begins the work, but it is love that propels it forward in these spheres of our family, in these spheres of the church, but it is also in these, in these broader spheres of our evangelism to the community and to those around us. Paul gives praise to God that they have true biblical love that is looking outside of themselves to the good of others. And thirdly, Paul gives thanks to God for their hope. The hope, the steadfastness produced by hope. Hope that looks to a coming Savior. Paul was not only grateful that the faith he saw and the work that he saw that was being done, the toil of these Thessalonian believers, but they did it, they did it with an eye fixed upon eternity. They did it holding fast in one hand the promises of God. Promises that, that, that assured them that their labor was not in vain. Promises that, that as they worked toward the great coming day, the day when Christ would return, that one day they would see the fruit of their works, even if they don't see it in the present day. And they, were, they had this steadfastness. And this particularly applies to them because they were in a time of persecution. And I think it's sometimes hard for us to, to grasp this in some respect, because we have enjoyed so much freedom. I mean, really, since the founding of our nation, we have enjoyed religious freedom. But that is not the case around the world. 
And even as we feel in our day and age the net kind of tightening and we start to see liberties come away, we should be reminded that, and the Thessalonian church, I mean, later on we read that their faith went out. Their faith, they were an example to the surrounding towns. I mean, how glorious is that? How glorious is that to be a body of believers whose faith and love and hope is so strong and is so Godward that it is known throughout the surrounding county that they are truly a men of that they are truly people of God. They are truly people convinced of the truths of Scripture, and they hold fast no matter what the cost. Paul gives thanks because the Thessalonians are a people like that. And in a nutshell, Paul is really giving thanks for the first fruits of regeneration, of faith, love, and hope. The first fruits of regeneration. But there must be a caveat here. Because we can say that people in our day and age may have faith, they have love and hope, but what's the object of that faith, love, and hope? I had a neighbor a couple years ago, and that we would, and he and I would get into spiritual conversations. And, and, and this was during COVID, and he just would always tell me, you know, I just have, we just have to keep holding on to faith. I just got to keep my faith. And, and, and you know, I, and we would, I would press him a little, and, well, what is, what is the object of your faith? And, and, and he would never admit that it was, that, that Christ was his object of faith. It was, some people have faith in faith. They think that just to have faith means that you're okay. Same with love. Some people have love, but that love might be self-centered. And, and same with hope. So people might have hope, but what is it grounded? Is it grounded in a bank account? Is it grounded on the abilities that a person has? But Paul makes this very clear, that he rejoices in their faith, love, and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Paul knows that faith, hope, and love grounded anywhere else is absolutely useless. It is absolutely useless. And, and, and on that day of judgment, it will be found out to be lacking. Paul rejoices that God has done this work in their life. These, three, these are the three principal graces of regeneration. But yet they don't stop there. Paul rejoices to see that these believers are beginning in the faith, but nevertheless, these, these graces never go away. How many of us here could, can say that those who have been walking with the Lord for years and years, to say that as, as, we, as we grow in our faith, that faith increases. As we grow in our, in our faith, love increases and hope increases. That, that these are the marks of maturity. And this is what Paul's praying for. Later on in the letter, he will say that the will of God is their sanctification or their holiness. That they would grow, that they would become more and more like Christ as they, as they seek His face and as they continue to walk beside Him. And so it's pertinent to ask ourselves, do we see these marks in our own life? Paul rejoiced in seeing them in the Thessalonians because it was the marks of the true Christian. Do you see them in your life? Do you see work produced by faith? Do you see toil produced by love? Do you see steadfastness to Christ produced by hope in His promises? 
And are these growing? Are we seeking to cultivate them? Are we coming before the Scriptures daily? Are we, are we praying to God as Paul prayed for them that they would grow in these, the, these ways? Are we asking God that He would mature us? And, and sometimes it can be a dangerous prayer because many times it is through trial that we grow in these areas. Many times it is through hardship and loss where our faith is tried, where our hope is battered, and our love is truly tested. That it is when God brings us through those flames of affliction that these, that these gifts that He's given are tempered and made more beautiful. Paul rejoices in this group. Paul rejoices in the Thessalonians because God was truly at work in them. But we should ask ourselves this to kind of come back to the opening question. Where does this kind of love come from? Where, what was Paul's motivation for constantly praying to them? Praying for them, excuse me. What was his motivation for, for praying for a people that he might not have seen in months? And I think that his love for them was rooted in his, his meditation and his contemplation of Christ. And when I say Christ, I mean the gospel in full. Paul was a man who knew his sinfulness. Paul was a man who, we read this in his other letters, that he accounts himself as a wretched man for his sin. He, he knows the depths of his sin. He knows God and he knows the holiness of God. He knows the righteous justice of God. And he knows that he cannot approach that, this God the way he is. He knows that he was a man of pride, that he was a man who was beset with, with selfishness, that his mind often wandered. And, and while holding that in one hand, because in the one sense we can, we can get off way, way off track if we only meditate upon our sinfulness, but Paul also held in, tightly in his other hand the fact that Christ had atoned for that sin. That though Paul was a sinner, Christ was the great Savior of sinners. And Paul was motivated to love these Thessalonians because of the great love that he had been shown himself. And Paul's motivation of this was, was, was thinking on Christ and thinking on his work, thinking how, how the second person of the Trinity humbled himself. That it was out of love for a sinful and fallen creation that Christ even came. That he came and he, he laid down his life that people might know him, that people might be reconciled to him. Paul meditated and thought about, about the great love that he had been shown. And I believe that that was his motivation for loving these people. Because when he thought of himself and he thought of how hard of a person it was for him to love and how great he had been forgiven, how can he but not extend that love out? How can he not point others to the fount of grace that he had found. Paul's motivation to love is found in the love that he had shown in a transplanted heart. So as we think upon this, as we go into our week, as we wonder how we are to go about loving one another, both in the church and out of the church, let us do it with an eye to heaven. Let us find our motivation to love one another. 
in meditating upon Jesus. Let us set aside time. How often do we say, I'm going to set aside this half hour and just think upon the person and work of Christ? How often do we think upon what he's done for us? So let us follow Paul's example and live lives of constant prayer and thanksgiving to God for the graces that we see in our life, but also the lives of others. Let us pray for one another that that God would bring us all to full maturity. Let us seek to cultivate in our lives works of faith, labors of love, and steadfastness of hope that are rooted in Christ as we gaze upon Him. But finally, let us do this by looking to Christ. Look to Jesus. Let us throw off all thoughts of self-generated strength or zeal that comes from ourselves. But let love to Christ motivate you and, and as you meditate upon the great love that He has shown to us. This was Paul's method. This was Paul's method about how he approached loving others and how he sought to live his life to the fullest and to the glory of God. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.